Welcome to Space Bros, the sci-fi movie podcast for bad bitch feminists. I'm Mary, and this week I'm all by myself because Kate is taking a well-deserved break um, for a little bit of R&R and relaxation after quite a week. We've had quite a week these last couple weeks. And I hope all of you will join me in a collective feeling of relief, but not complacency. This is not a time where we should all go back to sleep. Relief should not be confused with comfort. We can, we can all feel relieved. We've dodged a bullet for sure. But now there are many miles to go before we sleep. So I encourage you to look at what kind of pieces of legislation passed this last election. Maybe there were some bills about around gerrymandering. Maybe there were some bills around um, human rights surrounding workers like in California. Uber and uh, Lyft would very much like to treat their employees as if they are car parts, and that is detestable. Is there something that you can be passionate about that can keep your focus on what's going on in your community, what's going on on a grassroots level, so that your activism is not just making sure the people on your side consistently get elected. Um, I think I think we could all stand to be a little bit more well-rounded in that regard. So that would be my advice to you. All right. Enough preaching. Let's have some fun. Uh, this week, or we are going to be talking about a wonderful movie, The Little Shop of Horrors. Enjoy. Today, we are talking about Little Shop of Horrors, which... I believe has been my favorite musical since childhood. I've loved this for a long time. Um, I was introduced to it uh, because this movie, uh, this movie version of the musical played in heavy rotation in my dentist's waiting room as I was a child. And also my mom likes it and we would rent it on a fairly regular basis. So it was kind of always just like in my life. Um, and only recently, even though I've known about it for like, you know, almost 30 years, uh, I, I and I've recognized that it's foundational to my well-established love of camp, all things camp and B-movies. Mm-hmm. I only have recently begun to explore exactly what it's saying about capitalism and consumption and what a treat, what a dream. I'm enjoying it so much more. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. why this resonates. But what is yeah. your... What is your background with this, uh, with this film, Kate? So I know I saw this maybe as a kid, um, but I hadn't actually revisited this story since 2007 when I was a member of the Greek chorus in a high school production of Little Shop of Horrors. I went to go see this production. Yes, it was, um, it was a part of, a, 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 it was literally a class production. It wasn't like a, you know, cast thing. It was like people who took technical theater and musical theater like put together this thing over those were classes a la- it was a labor of love <laughs> it was not the spring musical yeah. you guys yes, did Oklahoma exactly. or something yeah yes exactly exactly we had some big thing and then this was just like a you know a fun little campy thing that we did and it was you know fun um but that means I did not remember <laughs> that the movie has a different ending oh yeah um like a happiest ending and that my girl Audrey doesn't die. So that's, that was cool. That was uh, surprising. I'm not saying I think it's the right ending. I'm just saying I'm okay with Audrey not dying in a horrible way. I have major pluses and minuses with it. And one of my major pluses is that Audrey does not die. I agree. I agree. Uh, Just, just to like set the stage, I'm sure we'll talk about more in, in the original 
a Little Shop of Horrors, like Broadway, off Broadway uh, production. Um, Audrey, when she is bitten by Audrey too, uh, is mortally wounded and asks Seymour to um, feed her to the plant so that they'll be together forever. It's <clears throat> anyway. So, uh, yeah, stoked about that lack of weirdness that we'll dig into later. So, mm-hmm. Mary, you want to give us a plot overview of this movie? Sure. <laughs> okay, so Milktoast Seymour is eking out a meager existence on Skid Row working at a depressing floral shop. His fortune drastically changes when a strange and unusual plant comes into his life. Suddenly, all his dreams of wealth, fame, and romance are within reach. But everything has a cost. Before he can grasp that brass ring, he's going to have to open up a vein. We have both professed a love of camp. Um, I think that you uh, have been, have a have a better, more articulate way of discussing your love of camp than I have ever been able to. It is very much an aesthetic that has been uh, in your, surrounding you since I met you as a child. So, um, yeah, uh, love and was not surprised that this is a movie you love. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, love the maximalist like, uh, design of and color of the plant, you know, um, honestly, like just a plus plus, um, Mary, what are, what are your, what are some of your thoughts on the looks and feel? Yes. Well, as a, as a, a, um, paint, a, uh, regular attender, of the church of camp. I, I <laughs> love it so much. And this orthodox an orthodox number. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Keep holy the campeth day. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, I, I mean, the, this story fits so well with the extreme aesthetics of camp and also sort of mm-hmm. like the gleeful tastelessness of camp. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's funny to talk about when, when I thought about doing this, I was like, I mean, can you do it? Because, like, a lot of camp is not, certainly not politically correct. Not, I think, in a way that generally is, it's not like the blue collar collar comedy tour. Like, it's not generally not hateful, but it is not PC. That is not part of what it's trying to do. No. Um, No, in fact, like, it always seems to, like, hearken to, like, values that the people even hearkening to them, I don't think like it's like a time, a time, yes. like looking nostalgically and kindly on a time that we don't actually look kindly nostalgically on in a rational way. Or at the very least, it I think it's the issue. The issue is that it's camp is designed to lampoon the status quo. Yes. Yes. While also feeling a tenderness for those formative years, which is why a lot of it takes place sort of in the mid-century because you have, like, you know, queer artists and artists of color and people who were definitely on the fringes of traditional, quote-unquote, traditional values that were espoused during that time and were would would be not allowed to be who they truly wanted to be, sort of refactoring that time period in this, in their own image. And that tends to, and that that pain, I think, tends to come out. During those times of feeling like an outsider in a time of extreme uh, conformity, but still Uh but still appreciating aspects of that of conformity for its aesthetic value. Right. So like John Mm -hmm. Waters is an an, an excellent example of this. That's what all of his stuff is basically about. Right. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. But like Baltimore was a rough and tumble town. And if you put the lens of those people 
on on like bobby sockers that's funny and that's entertaining and it's also like sort of like hyper reality of what it is because of course all those traditional values none of that was ever like really real right yeah of course of course so exactly so it's kind of a mixture of a lot of things but um what this does i think better or what this is like a master class in terms of camp is the way that camp uses juxtaposition of elements that in a way that is both very humorous and also provides you with biting social commentary. And that, like, and, and even just sort of in its, like, DNA of this story. So you have this o- the overwrought romanticism. Like, there is nothing more overblown and flowery than a musical, right? Where people are so overcome with emotion, typically, and, and in their own interiority, that they need to make it exterior to themselves by singing it, right? Like, that is that is what musicals are. Yep. And contrasting that by putting it in this gloomy <laughs> setting of Skid Row. And I think what it allows yeah. the viewer to do is initially, we kind of are a little cynical about it. And we initially are sort of, we like smirk kind of at like how prosaic the nature of these characters' dreams are and how silly and contrived they are, given, especially given like the ugliness of the reality. But as you watch and as you interrogate those feelings, kind of just like gently in the background, kind of like mulling it over, I think what it does is it forces you, the viewer, to think about your own ideas of who exactly in this world deserve beauty and deserve to have their dreams come true. And so you kind of you kind of turn that social commentary back on you yourself. And this and and good camp i think does that sometimes and this does it definitely like the song skid row the opening number right really asks you the viewer why 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 should people be deprived of beauty simply because they are poor right does their poverty and location render their expression of their inner passions as fundamentally humorous and i think the answer is Yes, because we as the viewer living in a capitalist world know that it's absurd for them wish to wish to get out of there because they're never going to get out of there. And that is a dark (laughs) realization. And you realize sort of the inhumanity of culture that forces these people into this position. And you start to realize that like our perception of beauty and dreams and romance are deeply classist in a way that I don't think most musicals challenge you to do, which I really appreciate about this musical. I think it's interesting that the use of, uh, of color, um, to kind of show the gentrification of Skid Row, like after this Faustian bargain and how, like, like, I, I agree that like, while we initially feel cynical about like what their dreams are, like, invites us like to really re-examine that but I do feel like this ending with this purely pastel and perfectly idyllic representation of the home in the burbs which like even just and I know it's because it was filmed after the fact so of course it looks incongruous but like it feels incongruous to like everything else it almost feels like as a dream sequence instead of a reality whereas like for being a campy movie, like the rest of it all like feels like it lives in the same universe. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think that 
you know, the, the campy aesthetics are very much kind of centered around our main players and then everything else is campy only because it's an extremely dirty city like yeah yeah it is is an extreme version although i think that my ideas of what new york are now are probably like an extremely clean version (laughs) versus what they would have been like in like the mid 80s when this would have been happening so potentially potentially it's not even as like the the depiction of the city is not even as extreme as I think it is, but like you know when you see the people and the characters and the characterizations no, no, no. coming it's, out, yeah. like with like pe- like kind of like tired looking people with curlers and like dumping like gross food out of pots yeah, and slop. stuff. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. it's it's obviously it's obviously overwrought, but it's overwrought in a totally different direction that typically we don't think of as like part of the artificiality of camp, but still I think fits in that space and then you have this like weird this weird dream sequence i think it's also just because like yeah so it, you think it's a dream sequence right no no no. i don't i don't mean the somewhere that's green dream sequence no. i'm talking about the very end the very end what, no the I, very end feels incongruous i to think the rest of it i think even that, more so than somewhere that's green i think that frank oz and howard ashman were heartbroken that they had to do this. They were forced yeah. basically by the studio to do this. And they yeah. had been told by other creative partners throughout that like what they wanted to do was not going to work, but that they were going to let them shoot it and they were going to let them do the original ending and or the 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 stage ending. And artistically, I think that they were when I've, I've read interviews by them and they were like artistically this was incredibly <laughs> unsatisfactory to do. So yeah. I think I think, that I think they, that's, that's probably why it feels that way. Yeah. So I think it's sort of like they didn't that they knew what they wanted to do and they couldn't do it. So they just sort of transplanted sort of like more of the artificiality of like a dream sequence, the, the main yeah. dream sequence and just kind of yeah. stuck it at the end. I mean, and it was so rushed, like this movie was supposed to come out in July and then they had the test audience screening and people hated that Audrey and Seymour died and wanted a happy ending. So they did reshoots and then it came out in December. So it was like a really quick turnaround. Like they started reshooting in like September. They edited it in October, November, and they released it in December. So I don't think, yeah. I just don't think that there was much, as much care given to it as they sure. could have. But I don't blame them either. For, no, 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 no. I mean, like that's no, a me heart, heartbreaking, a heartbreaking thing to do. And, yeah. and and truly, I don't, I don't know how that they, because for ver- for lots of reasons, we'll get into this kind of in the Greek mythic portion. Making this story have a happy end kind of breaks the structure in a lot of ways. Well, it, it breaks the the yeah. morality of it for sure. Yeah. So I don't really know how they could have. I mean, maybe they could have had. They maybe could have like split the difference and had Audrey survive and Seymour get eaten. That probably might have worked, but I think. I mean, like, just I don't I don't think that I understand also that test audiences probably could not deal with um, Rick Moran's the, the world eaten. being. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I, I mean, like, even more so than the world being taken over. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, he is just so universally beloved and does seem to be like kind of a really decent person, which yeah. definitely comes through in this role that. It, it hurts to see bad things happen to them. I also think it's just different. Like, when you see a stage play, and when you see this stage play, right, what happens is 
um, traditionally, you see all the characters get eaten, right? And then at the end, there's sort of, you know, and then it kind of like ends. And then there is a big curtain call number where they all come out again dressed as plants and then they sing at you again. And so it's sort yeah. of like you sort of have that release as the audience being like, okay, they're all right. Like, because you know that they're all right. And you don't yeah. have that in a movie. And Frank Oz, I know, felt very strongly that if they were going to make this, it was not going to be just a filmed version of the stage play. He wanted, he felt very concerned that this was not going to be filmable and did a ton of work, like worked for six months just making this into a script as opposed to a stage play. Like, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. And it it pays off. Of of course. Like, it's it's the right call, but I, I, I just... It, it, the ending is a, is a problem for sure because yep. you understand both the way it really should have been, but you also understand the way that that wouldn't work, that people would not like that. Um, yeah, and well, Emily, you know, yep, yes, one hundred percent. But this did make me think about like why this movie feels so, or why this musical and why this movie feels so different from a lot of other depictions of um, people trying to make it in in uh in musicals so like it's obviously not really like fame or anything like that because you don't have it's not about the theater that's not what the story is about yep so the things i could best compare it to were things like les mis where we see for people for whom poverty forms the basis of their nobility and sometimes principles like revolutionaries, passionate artists, like women that are angels with dirty faces, like that kind of thing. Basically any of the jerkwads in rent fit this bill. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. And this story <laughs> jerkwads and rent. Right? I love you. But like yeah. but you know what I mean? Like those people are like, I am poor and that is the basis of who I am and it makes me fundamentally better or like able to see truth in a way that you can't. And totally. These totally. people are not like that. These people, these characters are extreme versions of like otherwise normal schmucks who <laughs> are stepped on by society and are just trying to f- survive, like trying to find their way. Um, yeah. And I think that that makes them infinitely more likable even and, and believable, even though this story is, of course, and, and by design, very silly. Like it is meant to be silly. And it's meant to put sort of trappings of classical, dramatic tragedy in the most absurd story possible. And yeah, and juxtap- absolutely. And juxtapose the things together. But, like, it's so refreshing that we don't have these characters like, you know, can you hear the people sing? Or, like, stamping their feet and refusing to pay the rent. Yeah. Like, they're like, no, no, <laughs> we'll play by your rules. And yet they still fail. And then that leaves us, the audience, with like a much more like a much more cynical, well, a poignant question where as opposed to saying like if the characters of Rent did this, we would then be saying, why is the rent so damn high? Like, why can't they live? They should be able to live. They are part of this world. Like, this is yeah. their world. And the fact that part, they're getting pushed out. Part of your world? I'm sorry. sorry part of your sorry. world. And they're getting pushed out, and that's wrong, versus it being sort of like a moral stance, you know? And yes. I, I think that that, I think that this will age 
much better than that because it's it's really just people trying to survive in a system that is not for them. It's not for very many people and and getting like their slats kicked in. And that's very relatable. That's what most people in life go through. Most people yeah. in life don't choose la vie bohème. Most people are just like, yeah, I, I work a job. and Yeah, I, I keep working my shitty job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I go uptown. I deal with a bunch of jerks all day. Yeah. Then I come home and my place is still shitty and my rent's still too high. And I'm still getting kicked around. And like, um, and like, why, why, why can't, why can't, am I ever going to get out of here? Like, that is yeah. a, they're a very reasonable question a lot of people ask. And and to see that the answer to that question is no. Yes. <laughs> is, yes. It's pretty yes. profound. It's pretty it profound. It really is. So like, it's, you know, it, you're right. It, it structurally does kind of break the story because that's kind of, it, it, it loses the teeth of its it loses, <laughs> it loses its teeth when you um when you take away the the success of the Audrey two species at propagating I do I think that little shop is sort of a um I mean it's it's more than a cult classic I think people know yes. about it more it's like more famous than that but you can even just tell by the people it's more the cultural zeitgeist than just a cult classic right right? but it's not it's not as iconic as say maria spinning around um the alps sure 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 sure. yeah it's not like it's a little one of the top 10 moments in like you know in musical cinema cinema. yeah yeah it's it's more fringe than that and but i think it occupies a space where you have a lot of artists who and especially comedic artists who saw it and liked it because it is such an oddball and it's like like uh, I I just heard so many interviews from comedians who are like this is one of my formative year movies like this is what made me want to do stuff and so I think you see I mean even our idea of what a carnivorous plant is is very based on what Audrey looks like absolutely and so you see you see her DNA all over the place which is pretty cool which is pretty cool throughout the world um, yeah. And I think another reason that she almost represents or he it's an it, it's a plant, it's basically sexist, but I guess it's more female than male. I don't know. Um, I know it's it's voiced by a man. It just, you know, now we're getting into gender trouble. Doesn't matter. Peter Butler. It doesn't they, matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Audrey's mm-hmm. a they, they, them. Yep. I think that they represent in many ways. um both this incredible, like, cautionary tale of, like, what greed is. Like, greed and consumption, I think, is, like, a core yeah. idea of it. But also just sort of, like, uh, kind of punching the wind out of a lot of, like, middle-class discomfort with, like, what it takes to actually advance in the world. Like, I love yes. I love that scene in the beginning where Mushnik is talking to the Greek chorus women, uh, Crystal Renette. About and, bettering themselves. And Shabbat. Yeah. And yeah, and and they make fun of him. They're like, "Oh, you think that if, you think that if we go to the crummy Skid Row public school, that like somehow that means we're gonna be able to escape?" And also, it's hilarious because they, by just like the nature of their role as the Greek chorus, and also kind of being sort of these like streetwise urchins, um, mm-hmm. are the only people who actually like understand the stakes. And also feel safe in this environment to us. Like, I'm never worried that they're going to get eaten by the plant. They are They are beyond this. They kind of like, they're like almost like little demigods 
floating through this story. Um, yeah. About the trials of mere mortals, right? So yeah, one hundred percent. So I love. I, I call them the Greek chorus because I think that they are like a part. They, you know. Well, they absolutely and they absolutely are. That's what they function yeah. as, right? So yep. it's it's interesting to see sort of you know these young these young black women growing up, you know, young poor black women, sort of mm-hmm. shown. Not necessarily as just streetwise, but like truly wise, like wise, yes. wise to the ways of how stories work and the the moral quandaries of mortals. Um, yeah. And I think that is meant to, to make middle class people feel uncomfortable because we want to believe so desperately that mm-hmm. we do we do have a chance of making capitalism work for us. I mean that's I mean that's why I mean that's that's why middle class people voted for Trump, right? <laughs> like they were like, "Oh, yeah. he's rich. I want to be rich one day." Like we yeah. are more invested in it, whereas you have these people who the people on Skid Row know that capitalism does not work for them. They already yeah. know that. <laughs> it has yes. been There's there's no illusions. Painfully clear. So I think that also um when you have like kind of visual representations of Audrey too. She, they, him exist <laughs> in this space where we're challenging the status quo a little bit. Yeah. Like it yeah. is it is meant it is meant to poke at you and make you and make you realize, if only for the reason that we are no longer like we plants we we're pretty sure we have control over them. No, we do not. Like we right. are we it also pushes us around a little bit on the food chain. So Everybody knows that this was a musical before it was a movie, but I think less people know that it was a black comedy horror film, like a B movie, from the 60s, directed by none other than the Pope of Pop Cinema, Roger Corman, uh-huh. um, who made this movie for about 30K, which is about 260K in today's money, and shot it in three days. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. You can find the entire thing on YouTube for free. Um, yeah, I watched it like I watched that in high school um, instead of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is not a musical. It is. Oh, it is no, it is not. <laughs> it is not a musical, but it does have um, this great scene worthy of, I think, Edgar Allan Poe, where um, when um, Audrey two or Tui's buds start to blossom they blossom and they feature sort of these horrifying death masks of Seymour's victims in the middle. It's it's worth the price of admission just to see that happen, in my opinion. Um, so it's sort of like Tui represents, I think, more of like a telltale heart or um, visions of exactly what you have done <laughs> to make your fortune in this world, which... Is a cool a cool idea, and I think it's lost a little bit as the technology of the plant uh, makes them makes the plant itself more autonomous and more of a different a more of its own character. I think we get like the plant as an extension of Seymour more in that early story, and then um, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman took Corman's movie and shaped it into this duop musical, which premiered off off Broadway in 1982 before eventually moving on, on to stri- just off-Broadway, one-off, and then running for five years. And it's been, you know, they've had a, revivals a couple of times. I think the most recent one was, like, the mid-2000s. 
Um, but it's a story that's still that's still important to us, and we have this film version, which you can enjoy any old time right now on HBO Max. Little Shop of Horrors uh, exists at the intersection of Greek moral tragedy. You know, hero seeks power, is punished by the gods, and camp, which is a really fun intersection to be. I also thought about it a lot as uh, the Faustian bargain with the devil who decides to... Um, to uh, kill Orin, the dentist, played by Steve Martin. It's really easy the first time, and then after that you realize what deal you've made. And um, I think that, I think it's interesting because you could also, like, you can overlay a lot of things on this because it's such, like, a, a, a an archetypal story, you know? You can look at uh, the people who die as the deadly sins, you know? Um, Orin, the dentist Orin representing wrath, uh, as a super sadist, Mr. Moshnik as avarice or greed. Um, he seems like he cares about Seymour, kind of. But then at the end of the day, like when he finds out Seymour's killed someone, he's like willing to blackmail him out of town, uh, but keep the plant um, alive. And Audrey, when it tries to eat Audrey, would be seen as an embodiment of lust, but not because she herself is lustful, but because that's what's projected onto her, which, you know, isn't very active. So it's not like a perfect metaphor, but... So Aristotle um, identified tragedy as uh, thusly. Tragedy is, therefore, an imitation of noble and complete actions, which through compassion and fear produces putrefaction of passions. Which is very flowery, but I cannot think of a better description. Of- Putrefication of passions is gorgeous. And by perfect, the way. a perfect example of what is going on in the story. So, yeah, I see Seymour as like a Prometheus or Icarus figure, who, mm-hmm. through circumstance and passion, finds himself playing with the tools of the gods, but is ultimately yep. undone by that action. Um, mm-hmm. Because he is a weak little meat mortal, and yeah. these are much bigger forces than he than he, and he also was not meant to win them in the beginning. Like he wasn't. He it was never. He was never designed to win this fight. He is not. He, and then that what is what makes him a tragic hero, right? His his desires are not necessarily yeah. bad, but. This is not this is not how life works, um, you know, within a Greek within a Greek tragedy. And Mencken and Ashman purposely crafted this musical to fit a, a this tragic structure where you have a hero faced with a dilemma who has a tra- who then there's a tragic flaw in his plan, which basically is that he's going to I guess eventually like have to keep feeding this plant meat, right? And then there's like with like missteps along the way, and then ultimately retribution is in their version because Seymour commits murder and therefore must be consumed and, and it kind of descends into avarice and greed and must be consumed by his own plant at the end. Like that is that is the story. This story it's, kind of biffs it on that last on yeah. that last point. Though I think yeah. I remember I remember really hating it. I liked it more this watch around for a reason we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, I, you know, I I do, I think it's interesting talking about Seymour as, like, having avarice and greed, because I think what's interesting about the story, like, the reason why he's so easy to root for is it's not that he wants all of the money. He aspires to, like, 
to to have a better life and to also like lift someone else out of this terrible place, you know. Um, and himself. And, I mean, like at the beginning, where the, he's yeah, like yeah, yeah. poor himself, and all and my her, life, like, all I've ever been is poor. Yeah, an I, orphan. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I think that even more so than in Greek than a lot of Greek tragedies. Yes. The gods at play here, I think, are capitalism and consumption. Yes. And, like, you have Audrey, too, as almost this organic, and I realize I'm mixing, like, classic metaphors, but she's almost like an organic Whatever. picture of Dorian Gray for greed and opportunity. Like... Yeah. Like, the, 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 stronger, the stronger the hold those principles, not necessarily even... He doesn't even necessarily embody them himself, but the plant does. So I guess I guess before we talk about Audrey, I do. There is there is one other read. Okay, this is when you when you know you have a really rich text because there are like a million reads you can have of it, right? Um, so I I went and I read a scholarly article about race in Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. So I I want to read a quote from uh, Alan Menken uh, about about that before I before I present this read that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, I, I think it's more what we're talking about now, but I just think it. I want to talk about the two of them in contrast. Mm-hmm. So Alan Menken, who wrote the songs to this, and my part of your world uh, joke was perfect because he also wrote Little Mermaid. Mm. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, Talented man. He's, he said that the songs in Little Shop of Horror were meant to be pastiche numbers, not camp, not condescension, and not a commercialization of the pop styles of the time, which is from the 1958 to 1963. So while I, well, I don't think he's saying that the movie's not camp, the movie is inarguably camp. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't trying to like talk down to this, but uh, America was still largely segregated then. We talked about how it's still segregated now. Um, so there is, there is a read of this in which there's a contextual fear at the time the white culture is being attacked and driven out by the inclusion of black popular culture and music. Audrey Chu grains popularity through media and is ultimately, you know, and, and that's how it's disseminated and is ultimately a looming force of doom and evil conquering the world. Um, and, and so the, the fears of like the white suburbanites uh, who are worried about like their culture being stolen is ultimately realized through, you know, this, alien force and we've talked about how in other works you know the alien the other um is it's used as shorthand to talk about um black people and minorities however i don't think that this is what menken is trying to achieve i just i felt like i had to at least speak it's, truth to power it's an interesting it's an interesting read for sure i think uh, it's made weirder by the fact that the the flight to the suburbs works in this i don't yeah, so I don't think I think it's at odds with the gentrifying force of Audrey too. Like that's Aud- why I don't think it works Audrey for me. Two, Audrey too, obviously, is voiced is voiced by and it and it must be meant by Levi Stubbs, a a fantastic duop artist. Okay, so like yes, yes, yes. yes. So they are have have a black voice singing in a black style of music that I cannot argue with. However, right. I would argue that all of the music, all of the music that is in this, for the most part, follows that doo-wop style. And yes. the and the truly challenging, I mean, there's a reason Rick Moranis could do this singing. The truly challenging that Seymour has, the truly challenging numbers are performed 
either by black doo-wop artists or Ellen Green, who is Audrey, Audrey One, who originated this role off-Broadway. So I'm kind of like, if you can get Levi Stubbs to sing it, why wouldn't you? Like, right? No, no, no. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that that's one read of this. I think it's at odds with the fact that Audrey 2 really does represent a gentrifying force. And the fact that, like, the second that they put Audrey 2 in the window and they're flooded with the first round of upper class customers, we see those customers run off quite literally. The local inhabitants of Skid Row, like, run them out when they're trying to walk into the store. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is, that is truly the driving force here. Like, I feel like, it, like, I wanted, I don't want to leave important reads on the table like without even mentioning them, but like I don't I don't think that that is honestly the powerful mechanism here. I do think it's capitalism, and I think that Seymour can no more escape Skid Row than we can escape capitalism. Um, is is a statement about how upward mobility is the exception, not the rule, yes. and about like systems like cycles of poverty. Well. And, I and think, that's why I wanted to bring it up here instead of like trying to bounce back to it later. So totally. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to totally derail. No, I just, no, no, no. You know, I mean, I think that I mean, I, I fully, I fully, I will, I'll put it out there. I think that anytime you get into, and I, I assume that this academic article is probably from the nineties is what I would guess just because I think 2008. Ooh. Um, but yeah. to me, it's very nineties to have this idea of like, Black people are taking over via the media. And I'm like, no, no, we will let some of them have money via the media. But yeah, but no, we're actually, well, we're just going to consume it. We're just going to eat it up like that's we just we just want the talent. We don't we don't want to help. We don't want to hear the messages. We don't want to we don't want to acknowledge that they are equal to us and allow of course and allow them to have our nice white collar jobs no god yeah, no yeah like and we talked about this with donald glover's you know this is america because that's yeah. something i feel like he's really exploring in that piece and not so many episodes you can find on our feed now but uh i they're they're talking about like the attitude in like 1958 like this i like right this fear i think you're right that like in the 90s that was something that like people were discussing more because it's been so truly proven not a not, not a how not a thing yeah yeah it like this i this idea that like beyonce uh is in like the illuminati it's like our yeah. guys come on I, I know that there's a rule like i i believe fully there is a room of like maximum eight people deciding the future of our world and they are white men i promise you um anyway uh well, they're definitely not beyonce that's <laughs> they're definitely not beyonce like choice. come on like, that's a crazy choice um, but I think, I think actually, you know, maybe, maybe what this really comes around to, and this is a much more modern read, is that potentially, I don't think this story changes very much if Seymour is black or Audrey is black. Um, I, I think probably if you updated it as such, it would make more sense given like kind of the disparity of, of, um, uh, wealth and poverty in mm-hmm. this in this country, uh, yes. and, which has only gotten worse since this time period. So, yeah. um, but I think that ultimately what Audrey represents is not even so much like white guys, but she is like, or they are like pure capitalism. Like it's just consumption yeah. and greed. They don't care who it is. They will manipulate no. that person until they get their blood sacrifice. That is all. And so I think that that is a much 
more complete read of what capitalism is and proves that like no like it's it's about maintaining the status quo where there is a there are people who are struggling to reach and will do anything to reach wealth and can how can we manipulate those people to actually get what like how does the status quo manipulate those people to actually get what they want what the powerful people want so i think yeah i i appreciate it uh, race is, race is something that definitely I think is like not as explored in this as it should be. Um, even though I think that uh, Renette Crystal and um, Chiffon uh, kind of dare the audience to think about those things just by their presence and fabulousness. Yes, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> and their rejection of the advice that they should be um, scrabbling just like the rest of us. But yeah. Um. But I, I, I think that it's like it's like purer than that. It's not necessarily a question of like white people and black people. It's like a question of like who has the money and why are we trying yeah. to get the money and why do the people who have the money, why do they hold that above us? Why are we so compelled to like run for the food pellet and do horrible things for the food pellet, which pretty much every working person does to some extent, you know? 100 percent. Um yeah, if you want to hear us explore this in more detail, please listen to our episode of Us, uh, which we discuss uh, most of our episodes on. since we talk about <laughs> capitalism a lot on this show. But this is an intersection. This is not just a straight Greek tragedy. And yep. or even if it is sort of like one with like a broken wing, like this story, like the story is by its name, <laughs> by yeah. its ending. But it also has this intersection of camp. And I feel like a lot of people would just leave it at. The campiness of it makes it poppy and fun and, like, people want to watch it. It makes it, like, silly and, like, enjoyable. And I don't disagree with any of that. But sure. I do think that this does more. So in a Greek tragedy, we feel pathos and empathy for the the hero, right? But we are meant to learn something and understand that the bad things and the trials that that person experiences are brought on by themselves well and are meant to teach them something like are in some in some maybe not even like morally correct but are like a universal order of things yes and and inescapable right like that yeah and that is where the that's kind of like where the morality comes from not so much like what is right and what is wrong but like what is true and what isn't true you know like on a on a cosmic and um basic scale right yeah camp because of its cheekiness and its insistence that the status quo is wrong and that things that would be blown off as being tacky or silly i think allows that little crack in the door that makes us be like wait a minute why do we respect these uncaring monstrous gods yeah. Why why do we respect them at all when we should simply fear them because they are scary and they and and then reject yeah. them because they're not useful. Exactly who's working for who around here? Like what are we doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um yeah. and I think that that is that's pretty cool. Like that that we have that. Um and I think that the, like by far the most campy character in this whole story is Oren the evil dentist, right? Oh my God, Steve Martin! <laughs> yep. Oh, it's so weird to see also, Steve Martin with dark hair. Oh my God, so so weird. I I don't know if he's in another role where he has dark hair. I also well, his um, hair turned gray when he was like 
22 or something crazy like that. Like, he's there really aren't that many roles. No, totally. And Bill Murray as Arthur Denton, um, you know, chef's kiss. Just all, you know. Amazing. Amazing. All, all great. All, all, all great work, you know. But I think, I mean, like, but he definitely invites you to be like, wait a minute. So our capitalist gods who have decided that Seymour is going to have to, like, sleep on a cot and be taken advantage of by his boss every day are rewarding this cruel asshole. <laughs> like, yeah. That, yeah. like, that like we can put a white collar on and that protects abusive psychos with drug problems from any sort of scrutiny at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, and yeah. In fact, uh, in fact, I... I just channeled my predilections into a very lucrative field and therefore am considered a respectful and, you know, uh, a productive member of society. Right. And and not only that, but I had the benefits of being born into a class where someone could see that and not make me a super predator, which in this case I am, and instead decide that I can I can actually I can actually like be economically successful because I am so cruel and because I am so uncaring. Um, yep. I mean, I would hope most of our listeners have never had a boss like this, but I've had bosses like this, not to this extent, but like when you, yeah. when you, when I think about prototypical um, people who want to own their own businesses and make like a lot of money, they're not dissimilar to nope. psychopaths who are hiding behind white collars. Like this is not, totally crazy no um and it's unfortunate which which is super unfortunate it doesn't have to be that way by the way um but it also points out because like so Oren is like by far the richest person that we see in this story right yep but he is still brought down by an even more economically hungry force so it's not even as if these gods will protect these people who who can survive on their system and succeed in their system forever. They are also just plant food as far as they're concerned, which is yep. which should also chill us to our bone. <laughs> like it's not yes. even it's not even that like we are we are the them and they are the <laughs> they are the us and that we are we are fed to them. Mm-hmm. They will also cannibalize each other because there uh-huh. is no loyalty and there is, <laughs> there is no, no us in the story. Yeah. Every, everything is just like a big scrabbling rat pile to the top. Yeah, it makes me think of like the the escalators that only go down and not up and us. You yeah. know, like yeah, ev- everyone can fall. It's it's the climb that's so much harder. Yeah, I also love another moment that I think is really amazing is that even when Seymour, I think like part of the reason that Seymour does not feel greedy to us and 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 his his greed is almost entirely ex, like externally visualized by by Audrey too. Yep, is that the like while Oren can be taken down by an economically hungry force. It's really the thing that separates him is that his self-interest and cruelty allow him to enjoy the situation under capitalism. Whereas even when Seymour, I love that scene where Seymour like starts making money and is like his star is starting to rise. And we have the juxtaposition of Crystal, Renette and Chiffon singing some fun now about like how finally like Seymour has made it and is doing great. And then it's intercut with scenes where it's just Seymour like punching holes in his fingers and feeding chewy blood and, yes. be, and being so miserable. It's yes. like, 
it's, it's like, so smart. It's so smart. And and like who doesn't who does not cannot relate to that? Like you get your first job, you start making some real money, and you're sad. You're miserable because working you're jobs working constantly working jobs is, is stressful and it's not fun. Yeah. So this story, basically, if you're a theater nerd, you hate the fact that this story had to artistically compromise to be appealing to movie people. Yep. I... I remember, so this was the first version of the story I saw. So for a long time, I just didn't, like, know any better, I would say. Um, Yeah. And then for a while, I kind of, like, hated on it. I think structurally it has problems. Um, I kind of had forgotten that the the last thing Seymour does before destroying... Audrey 2 with a cleansing blast of electricity, a.k.a. modern fire, which felt appropri- mm-hmm. appropriately mythic For the Prometheus, me. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is that he rejects, like, the, the, the true, like, race to the bottom move he could make of capitalism, which would be to spread this cancer that is this plant that wants to yep. eat people through the entire world, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think... I think as much as I think that the ending is a little bit, like, rushed and heartbroken and lazy, I do think that they were trying to sort of sew it up. So in the original, it's yeah. saying, like, no, he killed people. It's over, man. Like, yeah, he, you you got you to gotta pay the Pipe Piper or whatever. Right, exactly. Now, now it's time to pay the price. Um, yeah, exactly. Do you, do you like that I brought in another mythology? <laughs> Yeah, I just figure why not bring in more? Come all, on. all of it, um, all of it, <laughs> right? And instead, there's sort of this like move where where he rejects it. We see throughout that it's not as if he's necessarily pursuing it, but he's not turning it away. Like you have that whole scene where you know it's like the the um like it's just people giving him pens and sign and sign this and do this and you're the expert. Um, yeah, even. And even um, the Greek chorus sings at that point, it's not merit, it's supply and demand. So it's not as if mm-hmm. he deserved this. It's just what the people want. So we will give yep. it to you. So I think in that instance, I think we're meant to understand that, like, Seymour has officially stepped out, has, like, has like cut himself off from this representation of his greed by rejecting it and now can kill the plant. I, th- I do think that that is the best argument for why this is the ending that we get. And I appreciate that they tried something here. Like, I mean, like yep. I appreciate that they understood. Definitely, they understood the story was more nuanced and important than just silliness. Like they had to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I like that they understood sort of like the moves that they thought they would need to make, even if the happy ending that they had to like kind of shoehorn in here doesn't quite make sense. Fit. Yeah. My major quibble with it is that they cut the final song, which I don't think that they would have to cut. No, I think it could have existed in the end. But it really drives home the message of the story in a a very blatant and true way um, Mm -hmm. that I think, and and kind of 
throughout, I've been talking about how a lot of it is you, the audience member. Like, I think that this is a more demanding musical because it asks you to, like, internalize what's happening and then question your own belief system around it. And that is, like, where the art comes from, you know? Yeah. And this, this last song like like fully breaks the fourth wall and tells you what the moral message of the story is which i think is why it kind of like pays off with that sort of like externalization and then to draw forth your internal um like interior um process with this film so or the story yeah. so, so if you'll permit me the last song is uh-huh. don't feed the plants and this these are some choice couplets They may offer you fortune and fame, love and money and instant acclaim, but whatever they offer you, don't feed the plants. They may offer you lots of cheap thrills, fancy condos in Beverly Hills, but whatever they offer you, don't feed the plants. Hold your hat and hang on to your soul. Something's coming to eat the world whole. If we... If we fight, we've still got a chance, but whatever they offer you, though they're slopping the trough for you, please, whatever they offer you, don't feed the plants. Which is awesome and, like, reminds me of something that, like, <laughs> like Cornell West would say. Like, it's, it is a, it is a Marcus, a Marxist, like, chant, yeah. pra- practically. Like, even though uh-huh. they feed you, even though you think you need, you need them, even if they have all of the, uh, the, the, like things you desire, you cannot feed these plants because they're coming to eat the world whole. They are not yeah. interested in yes. you. <laughs> and, and and what's a more perfect metaphor than corporations right now that are literally yeah. destroying the earth? But yeah. like, who among us working <laughs> working to make other people money are not feeding these plants? Who? Uh, no, of course we all we all. We all I, do. I don't. I don't think that the regular consumer is as culpable as giant corporations um, yes. because they're more responsible for you know whatever, whatever. We've talked about this before, but yes, we are all complicit. But There's I think it's. No. I think it's like very powerful, and it should still be in mm-hmm. here, even if even if it's sort of like a like a magical realism breaking. Sort yes. Of like. Uh, you yeah, know. like what they do in the end of Mamma Mia, or maybe it's yeah, 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 yeah where yeah. like suddenly there's just like a. It's like a big group the number. The whole cast is singing. Yeah, yeah, group number. Exactly. No, yeah. it really did need to be in there, mm-hmm. you know? Well, because we need this final plea to the audience that, yep. like, the only way we're going to defang these capitalist gods is to reject this greed that can mm-hmm. consume us. And I think that it's the humanistic end that would make Prometheus proud. Like that is that that is what these tragic heroes fight for. And um it's a shame it's not it. That is like probably my biggest beef with this end. Yeah. It needed this song to cap off the end of the story. Yep. So I what I, I think what I like so but definitely Renette uh Chiffon and Crystal are my favorite characters in this story. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I like most of the characters in the story, and I really like Audrey in this story because, and I think the story does a really great job with her because it balances this this potentially very delicate problem of making Audrey a truly zany and absurd character but also deeply empathetic and sort of, like, beautiful. In a way, she reminds me the most of a John Waters character in this, where she she's almost... She's not... 
like a John Waters character would make her grotesque but beautiful at the same time. And she has sort of that DNA. It's sort of softened. Yeah. It's much more softened than anything he would do. But you understand both that Audrey is is absurd, but also like absolutely deserves respect and the humanity that she is being denied. Um mm-hmm. In a way that is that is that is almost like physically painful <laughs> to watch, um, yeah. And and I think that's a she's a really interesting character in that way. I worry I have like uh, maybe a, a harsher uh, perspective on on Audrey. <sighs> Audrey feels like she feels like the trope of this like fallen woman uh, who has done and savory things to survive. Like she mentions like working at like a club. I don't think she's a sex worker. She could be whatever, but like, you know, fallen woman therefore believes she's unworthy. Like she has like low self-esteem on like a clinical level, you know? Yes. And, and, and I think maybe is even an emotional masochist. And what I'm saying is like, I want to send Audrey to therapy, you know, like so, so much like, I, yes, she is kind and she loves Seymour and I want only the best for her. But it's so hard to watch like the because. All right. Because the Greek course is not really within the story. There is really only one female character in the story, you know, and it's Audrey. And it's hard to watch like her be like this monolith and her be like so broken, you know, and I understand people are broken. I'm so torn, Mary. But yeah. with that said, I I do enjoy that. So I, I hate the original. And here's what I hate about the original ending. We've talked about all the great things about it. I hate how it does Audrey. I hate the idea that Audrey is such a doormat of a woman who is willing to put up with someone abusing her. And oh God, that sounds awful. I'm not victim shaming. I am saying as someone who watches things and wants to see someone I want to see someone not take shit because of the millennia of women taking shit, you know, like uh, it's, it's hard for me to watch a woman get abused. I know everyone else has an easy time with it. So, you know, I'm an anomaly, <laughs> but like, it's just, it's, it's hard. And, and then at the end of, of the, of the off-Broadway musical, she realizes that Seymour has killed these people and she loves him so much and she's like just feed me to the plant and then we can be together forever because you deserve this success but what she's also saying is like you know just keep murdering people and i'll just be one of those collection of bodies in this plant it's cool like that way we can be together which like does not actually make seymour feel good and he tries to kill himself and like whatever it's it's dark um but even though she's kind of saved by seymour I also feel like in this movie, by saying that she loves him, by giving him an out from avarice and greed and the courage to change their situation without it being tied to money, um, I think she kind of saves him a little bit in the movie. So I don't know. I I kind of think that the movie does better by Audrey than the original. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the, basically the only reason to me that she dies in the original is because in Greek tragedies, the gods are not happy just to ruin the lives of the heroes. No, they, need they, a lot they of, kill everything. They, kill they destroy everything, everything they that that earth. person loves. Yeah. So, yes. but, she, but then in that, she is objectified pretty mm-hmm. extremely. Yeah. So, and that's, which when, what, I, when I said that she was like the embodiment of lust, like, 
instead of like, you know, if the dentist is wrath, if Mr. Mushnick is avarice or greed, she doesn't even get to like, she doesn't even get to like be an embodiment. Like she doesn't even get to like possess the sin. It's just something that's projected onto her. Like she's like such like an object, like that she's more of a reflection. I don't know. Like I just, I think that this gives her more autonomy. Well, and this end, if anyone deserves somewhere that's green, it's Audrey. She truly, sure. I mean, like sure. everybody in this story is bad. Mushnick is bad. Seymour is bad. Oren is bad. It's not a huge cast. Right. Yeah. She is the yeah. only person who's who has motives, not done anything bad. Whose, whose motives, motives are pure, are pure and stay pure the whole time, even yeah. even in the face of greed. So it's it. I think that her death in the story is is meant to be sort of like Ophelia's where it's just like yeah. she's just this innocent party. And it's so sad that she dies. It's gutting. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of so I like somewhere that's green. I mean, the, the lyrics are redonkulous, but yes, the emotion that it's delivered, I think, mm-hmm. dares the listener to judge or dismiss what Audrey is talking about. So I would argue that you cannot be moved by uh, Les Mises, Fatine's noble cries <laughs> of her self-sacrifice yeah, and then blow off Audrey's lament as like just shallow sobbing. Like you cannot do it because I think that, but I think that it it both dares you to do that as the audience, and then is like check yourself because somewhere that green is even more powerful than I had a dream because like mm-hmm. many of us cannot even fathom the despair of Lamus like and the cruelty no. of the world. Like that world is like so extreme, but like. Yeah. Who truly cannot relate in, like, our modern consumer, consumer-driven consumer society of Audrey, d- Audrey's desire to find self-respect by owning a nice toaster? Like, it's silly, but that is the situation we are in. Like, it, totally. it validates totally. us and teases us for our capitalistic motivations and says, mm-hmm. like, of course this is what you think will give you what you want. You're told this from birth that this is what you want. But like, but like, look, look at this woman. This expression is something deeper and poignant. And the framing is silly, but she, her somewhere that green is her desire to have love and safety. And she deserves that just like anybody else. Like, yeah. And and, and the fact that this is the way she can express it is relatable and heartbreaking. So I think it's like very, it's (laughs) like when you listen to it, it's. It's almost to me like um, it, 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 it works on so many levels. Like you're, it makes you realize how wildly cruel the system is for not letting her have that because it's not like she wants She's not asking power. for a lot. Yeah, no. she wants a, cha- a fence of real chain link. She like, just wants she to live. She wants she, a living wage, basically, she wants, in a house. She wants, like, modest, nice things. And she wants to watch I Love Lucy on TV yes. like, while snuggling with her With her, with her, boot, with her husband. And I yep. think um, doubly cruel is the fact that Audrey is painfully, you know, she is painfully aware of the things she has to do to advance in this world. Like... I think that the the movie is very smart in that a lot of the violence is totally goofy. Like the violence that Orin inflicts in his dentist's office is totally goofy. Um, yeah. Like even when Seymour chops him up with an axe, that's totally goofy. The domestic violence is heightened to the oh point of parody, but it is not funny. Like it is not funny. No, and I feel like I think not- there's an early line. Like the first time Mr. Mushnick mentions 
you know, uh, Oren, he, he's like, he's I'm, like, I'm beginning to I'm think he's, beginning not, think he's nice not a very guy. nice boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, 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 like, you know, like this is, um, you know, uh, the tugging of the collar, like, you know, like kind of feeling. Uh, well, and I think, but I think it's supposed to be like, he's like, you know, of course, I think, of I course. think that this dude you're dating is like, not a nice guy because he's he, a psycho. He, no, he's, he's a he's a real he's fucking a yeah crazy person. He's a fucking piece of work. Exactly. And I think when you see Audrey herself talks about her injuries and this and that's and her circumstances remind me yeah of Florence Pugh's soliloquy as as Amy and Little Women, where. The realities of her world and the options given to women mean she cannot fully be independent and self-actualized. It is out of reach. Like, it's not an option for her. So she's got to find stability within a relationship. And that will require her to be womanly and pretty, even when that is exactly counter to how she feels about the world around her. And just because her arm is in a sling that's made out of vampy black Swiss dot mesh, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It just means yep. that she has to make that hurt fashion, and that should break our hearts. And no, it does break our hearts. It does. It does. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so hard when you notice that that's what that is, because at first you don't even, at first it's like almost invisible, yeah. because she does such a good job of making her pain just be something that is so unobtrusive. Yeah. She, oh, the, the, person, the person she reminds me, so I don't necessarily see her as I see the more system is broken and she's trying to make it work. She's cut for me from the same cloth as Adelaide from Guys and Dolls. Where she's... No, 100%. Where she's a gal getting up there in years. She mentions being a December bride. She's constantly let down by all of these men in her life who are like criminals for the most part. Yeah. Um, She knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that society strictly values her because she is beautiful, which and that her and that her looks are rapidly fading. So she's got to move, yeah. right? Like she's yeah. got to make whatever move she's going to make now. But yep. we, as the audience, because it is a musical, can see that her value is not because of how she looks. Like that is yeah. We not can see her point. interiority, right? Yeah. And she is funny and tender and tender and meltingly relatable on the inside. So we we care for her, and she's sort of. She's a a character that keeps that keeps getting pushed around when we know when we know that she doesn't deserve it. Um, mm-hmm. But she still she still has like a spark. And that's what makes her so I mean, like when you think about guys and dolls, would you rather have like lunch with Adelaide or with Sergeant Sarah Brown? Adelaide. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. And I feel the same way about Audrey. Like she's not, she's not like kick ass, but like that's not necessarily her fault. Like she's not, she, the system should not fail her this horribly. The things she wants are not, are yeah. not stupid. She yeah. just, she should be allowed to live. Like we fight, yeah. we fight for women like her as well. Yes, um, of course, of course. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a happy. I mean. Funnily enough, so I like somewhere that's green, but I do not like suddenly Seymour given the ending that we have. Of of course, of course, because you know. <laughs> well, in the stage version, 
I think we're supposed to understand that even though because so like suddenly Seymour like the idea behind it is like well now you've got a good man so you're everything's yeah. gonna be okay and the yeah. poignant nature of the stage is no it's not he's no, actually not. he's actually going to kill you <laughs> like yeah, that, he's a murderer right yeah. He's the um, reason why you die. No, of course. Like I and I feel like in the stage play, even though she like is like, no, sacrifice me, whatever, I think that you very much squarely put her death at his feet. Oh, well, you should. I mean, he is he is a willing participant, even though he's not enjoying it to the same degree. Mm-hmm. Of the same mm-hmm. violent system that allows Orin to treat women like Audrey like trash. Like yep. He is still enjoying, I think, that power dynamic where he can be like, wipe off your makeup, show me a clean face. I'm yeah. going to. You don't have to hide your face from me. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, he's not. You, he's, you know, I hate that shit. Yeah. Like, Seymour kind of comes this, like, nice guy who's going to save Audrey from, like, her tardy ways and whisk her mm-hmm. to, like, a life of respectability. And the fact that that does happen in the story to me is, like, way more distasteful than the fact that like Audrey doesn't like fight back against Oren or like yeah like she no, in and of, of herself deserves to be to deserves to be rescued just because she's she's a human being but she yeah. shouldn't be made to feel bad about about who the, she is about the things she's done or who she is or her aesthetic or any of that stuff like Seymour no, like get I, out of here with that trash I I agree with that obviously yeah um, I, yeah and I'm not saying Listen, the best songs are neither of those songs. I think we can agree, right? Yeah. I think every other song is better than both of those songs. Uh, mm. What's a worse song? I mean, I, th- I I truly like Somewhere That's Green. I think it's a I think it's a <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, a camp masterpiece of like okay. of yeah. like of like yep. the the desire for capitalism and suburbia. <laughs> Like I don't love "I'm a Mean Green Mother from Outer Space" and I'm mad. I think that I think that somewhere that's green is a better song than that one. Fine, fine. Um, I think that that's a fun song though. It's I, it's fun. It's I, I I truly don't have any other problems. The only one that I have some <laughs> some moral quandaries with with this story is suddenly Seymour, because yeah. every other song is building, and that song's meaning changes quite a bit given the ending. Yeah. And, it's no, one hundred percent. Fortunate because of that reason. So you know, it, it, we've been talking about it. I honestly prefer Audrey living. Um, yes, Audrey has no reason. Did nothing to deserve to die. The only reason she would die is to be like a, a final proof of Seymour's monstrousness. Which, yep. and I and I genuinely don't. Yeah, I genuinely don't understand her wanting to be fed to the plant uh, in in this stage version. Like, I think maybe she's lost a lot of blood and isn't thinking clearly, but, like, I don't think in a logical way that works for me. I so. think that they just do it so that she can come out dressed as a plant at the end and sing Don't Pee the sure. Plants. Because I'm everybody sure. else who is fed to the plants gets to do that. So, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I think it's because the plant the plant has to be the total victor like the plant has to everything that dies is because the plant eats it yeah like it, yeah. The, the greed must consume all so and there's no yeah, reason so it's not it's not there for a logical reason well, so that's why i right find it's sense there. it's story like yeah. that's right it's like a it's it's sort of like moving yeah, pl- plot pieces. armor sort of thing yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah well and and also like seymour wouldn't just feed her to the plant although that could be that could work and be chilling where yeah. he just feeds her to the plant 
any like because she's dead. And he's like, well, uh-huh. this is what Might I do with well. dead people. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that by having the happy ending and the fantasy brought to life of, of, of fleeing to the burbs, you have to you have to grapple with what or you are you you don't have to but it's there where you start being like well i mean white flight further depressed the inner city so not great and and especially with with that reading of like if if this is a little bit about like you know fear of like keeping like right like you know white hegemony of of culture and which caused white flight you know those those things go hand in hand in terms of like problematic Right. And I think that we see, like, the flower shop in this version get better, and we see some juxtaposition of, like, other, like, like Audrey's window has, like, lacy curtains, and everybody else's window has, like, you know, like, tattered screens. So, like, you have these sort of, like, little visual indicators of, like, where success. where the success is. Although I think that Audrey probably had that anyway at the beginning. Yeah. But... Yeah. Um, this production I saw last summer um, really leaned in and made it very clear that Audrey, too, not only represented Seymour's greed, but also this desire to gentrify. So um, it was it was like a, a big budget production and they had um, the kind of like projected skid row and they had this big, like huge monitor in the back to like have sort of this like interactive set piece basically and you very saw cool. very cool and you saw as the story progressed like initially you had like burned out buildings and then like audrey's two is gaining in power and then you see like kind of like hipstery people start moving in and then you see like every like window has like a flower box on it and it's like you see these signs of gentrification and you see um, characters who initially were sort of part of like the chorus who who mostly represented like you know people experiencing homelessness like you know um, like kind of bag lady people things like that getting pushed out by these new and replaced with these with these new happy shiny middle class people right happy shiny people yeah yeah and I think that not only made this story really relatable to a modern audience, but also sort of took the edge. So somewhere this green, of course, like those lyrics do not change. It's still there. But yeah. I think it's sort of it, it, it makes you realize that the somewhere that's green really just refers to money. Like that's the greenness yes. of it. Yeah. Yes. And that this sudden influx of money buys away problems because it shifts out the existing community. Like, you push them out. And so, so for the yeah, very Yeah, you don't few, actually solve the problems. You yes. hide them and, 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 right. and push them away and hope that they disappear. Right. Which I think... And then your gamer comes and attacks you. It's which, just all, all which, bad. Which I think is better. And you can, do, you can do that. And it makes more sense if the ending is sad versus having, like, the actual solution to this problem be that Seymour and Audrey flee to the burbs. Although... I do think that they try to mitigate that slightly by having the little mini Audrey 2 bud, like, smile mm-hmm. at the audience at the end as if, like, I'm here, too. Don't worry. <laughs> like, you can't. Don't worry. The sinister you, force was not defeated. Right. You can't. Well, or you thought this was safe. This is not safe. You have you have leaned into this further. I am also here. <laughs> um, yeah. And I also love the little smile 
that it gives. At the oh end. my god! Right. Oh, so I would like to say, I kind of understand the very beginning why you would feed a couple drops of blood to it. It seems cute. It's kind of cute. It just needs something from you. It it's, a need a lot. it's a carnivorous plant. He should have fed it like mealworms, though. No, of course, of anything course. Anything that my wants. Own blood. I would not have fed. Seymour might be a little bit dumb. Like that is Seymour is definitely a little bit about. dumb. But like Seymour might be a little bit dumb, and obviously you don't start with humans. Like, come on. Well, anyway. and I think I think that he also mirrors, or maybe she mirrors in him, sort of this um, this kindness that leads to self destruction quality. Yeah, like where Madness you have mercy, right? Like because he is uh, he's so meek. He himself is so meek that yes, he can get he... bullied by a plant. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That like, which, you know, it's like, and that's, and that's what I, you know, yes. Her meekness. Yes. That's, that's the word. And I know that the meek shall inherit the earth, the attitudes, Catholic but, church, but. But they also make fun of that in the lyrics. <laughs> like they're no, like, you yeah. know. Well, and so yeah. I think I think also that precludes her from being as kick-ass as you might want her to be because like Ex- a kick-ass exactly. woman's not interested in Seymour. Like no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. So Mary, I believe that this movie is sci-fi. Is this movie feminist? And it's an interesting from a feminist perspective. It's definitely not feminist with a capital F. <laughs> it's. And Audrey is not a feminist hero, but no. I think she's interesting from a feminist perspective. And I think it's important to have versions. Multiple kinds of women. Well, versions of uh, this kind of portrayal of a woman that would be very easy. I mean, like Audrey is the kind of woman that you would hear about on a true crime podcast and you would Aww. think to yourself, well, of course she died. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I don't listen to true. This is not. But do you know what I mean? Like, I tell you all that I'm better than everyone else, and I don't listen to a true crime podcast. I'm kidding. I don't think that makes me better than anyone. I just don't want to invite uh, not, my imagination it's, into it's not into, for you. into yeah. even darker places. Yep. But no. Nope. But mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, she is the type of person that we are meant to be like. Well, yeah. Like she made bad choices, and that's where she is now. And like, yeah, like that would never and happen I to hate, me. And I hate that because I don't. I don't even think she makes. No. I think that the only bad choice she makes is not valuing herself enough. Honestly, genuinely, not valuing herself enough to be like, oh, I don't deserve what Oren is dishing out. He's a psychopath, straight up. And let's, you know, let's let's fucking feed him to a plant. You know, yeah. this is my idea. Well, this is my plan. Yeah. And I think that they 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 put her in a like she has that conversation. So I think that the Greek chorus kind of like co- comes and goes out of the world. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. one of the moments that they're in, they're telling they're telling her like, you don't like that. You shouldn't date that guy. That guy's obviously crazy. Um yeah. So I don't think that it's even meaning to say that, like, because Audrey is poor, this is what she has to put up with. But I think it does deal with the reality of we the the system puts people in really bad positions where they can be taken advantage of. And then we blame them for it. And that's wrong. That's a wrong thing to do. It is. It is. It is. And so I like I like that invitation to empathize and care for Audrey, even if she normally would be someone you would sort of dismiss as a as a weak person or as a um as as the type of person who is does go missing and, and gets fed. 
fed to carnivorous plants. I don't know. So yeah. So I think she's I think she's important from a feminist perspective, and and I love I love an Adelaide. Any Adelaide I'm into. I think those yeah. those characters that are sort of heartbreaking and so funny at the same time. I think do a lot to humanize um, the female experience, which I think. I think Audrey definitely has a very female experience of the course yes. of this story. Yes, um, 100%. 100%. And, I, and, 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 and it's so cool that it lays it squarely, like, that, like, the reason that Audrey's life is bad is because of capitalism. Boom. That is, like, true for this story. And the reason that she has, yeah. that bad things happen and she almost dies are because of capitalism. Boom. Like, even though there are extreme forces, they all represent this system and are held in place by the system that is letting her down so, so hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is poignant and something that I don't even feel like, um, I, but I feel like more capital F, F feminist works sometimes don't even get at. So kudos yep. to this. What do you think? I, I would like to take a moment and say that um, the way that I talk about fictional characters uh, is divorced from the way I talk about real people. And that obviously I don't believe in victim blaming. Um, I understand that there are systems of power that uh, help contribute to people's behaviors. And I am not without empathy. Um, I don't think that you came off as being... Uh, 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 none of that is in question, I don't think. Okay. I, Based on what you're saying. Thank you. I th- uh, I, I, what, you're, I do, what you're saying is you wish that Audrey had a little bit more get up and go. And, 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 yeah. no, and no one can blame you for that. I'm just yeah. saying... It's sort of like it's sort of like in Halloween. I'm like, yeah, but she is a dis- depiction of of how a lot of women are, or at least a, no, a- right? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And so, like, and that, and I feel like again, this is just the tension that I am going to ex- experience, and maybe it's almost worse because I'm finally getting some like real strong female portrayals occasionally. You know, you get them, and then you're like, more. I am I am Audrey too. I need more human blood, but my human blood is more bad bitch women uh, portrayed in uh, media. So you know, totally uh, feed to- me, see more. Um, feed me, but totally, but, yeah. But I I do I I love this movie. I love this musical. I love this movie. I think capitalism runs all and and out of intersectionality. It makes it important. I don't think that this is capital F feminism. Um, but I do think that um, there are thousands of types of women, and Audrey is no less valid than than Sarah Connor. You know, like they they all deserve uh, a better life than what uh, the current system is giving them. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, next week we're going to be watching. Um, the movie Debs, which I've actually never seen, but I'm excited to see a lesbian romance that does not feature the trope of barrier gays. Very excited. That is, those things are too few and far between, in my opinion. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it. As always, thank you for listening to Space Bras. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, or leave us a review. You can also find us on our website, outrageousmechanisms.com slash space dash bras, or on Twitter or Instagram. And now, while it's just you and me, 
let's raise our glasses and give the official toast of Space Bras. In these troubled times, even though everyone else might suck, we are awesome and the galaxy is ours. Cheers. Outrageous.